Welcome to episode 128 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings and salutations, John. So for our topic this week, Dirk, I think I'd like to chat about fantasy sports, big data, and, and sort of the user experience that goes along with that that virtual entertainment that's really tethered to to uh, uh, real life events. Uh, it's an interesting time for that industry, to say the least. the uh, The daily fantasy sports uh, market has been shaken up a little bit because both FanDuel and DraftKings um, are are getting investigated. Uh, the The Justice Department is looking at. Uh, whether or not they are actually gambling sites or if this is is the quote uh, game of skill right that uh, the sites say that they are so they've got millions and millions of players there's millions of dollars at stake and you know the industry is just getting off the ground but you know everybody's saying hey this is this is really gambling Dirk I know you did uh, some some fantasy, football leagues and have a lot of experience with sports data on, on the soccer side. What's your, what's your perspective on, uh, on this today? I think it's, I think it's a mess. I mean, you know, you've got poker, which people say is gambling and you know, you can't, uh, you can't bet real money online playing poker. You've got horse racing and you can place horse bets online that, uh, that are okay. Um, but then you have these these sites, the the daily fantasy sports sites that were okay, and now we're you know coming under the the magnifying glass of gambling. I mean, it all unfortunately, like everything in in, in American politics, it all comes down to relationships and people with agendas. And one thing is going to be called illegal and under a certain classification, while another thing is not, um, just based on advocacy, just based on things other than sort of an objective um, attempt at a truthful look at, at what things are. I mean, you know, is our daily fantasy sports gambling? Yes. Are they, <laughs> are they also a um, skill-based? Yes. Both things are true. And, uh, you know, the, instead those things are used in sort of an oppositional way to figure out what the legal – you know, legally, should people be allowed to do it or not allowed to do it? And those things are just manipulated and twisted based on the agendas of, of the people involved. I mean, I find I find the whole thing odorous. Yeah, I, I've seen the uh, sort of the daily fantasy uh, football games likened to to day trading, right? Which, you know, in and of itself has, um, you know, fundamentals uh, for all the stocks that you're trading. But in essence, you are also gambling because you're placing a bet as to whether that stock is going to uh, rise or fall in the next, you know, uh, 12 hours or so or whatever that uh, um, sort of day trade, uh, wherever that takes you. So so it does sort of have both of those elements to it. You know, in from that perspective, day trading is is perfectly legal and, and you are uh, sort of surfing on this this data wave, you know, depending how well you can analyze it, uh, sort of determines at least in part how well you do. Um, in a similar way, the the amount of data being generated for these fantasy sports 
is is nothing short of astounding. I think I think there might be as much money in the big data as there is in the gambling sites themselves. Yeah, I mean, I mean, before we and I think big, big data is an interesting part of it. But going back to some of your comments on day trading, I think that's a great example example to use. Uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, he is a professional player of these daily fantasy sports things. He's also a business owner, and so. You know, his business makes him an, an amount of money, but his play of daily fantasy sports makes him more money. And so most of his life is running his business. But what he's said is the key to winning the daily fantasy sports, and he he plays basketball specifically for for reasons that I think are too, too, too granular to go into. Mm-hmm. Right? But he thinks the, the opportunity to make money is in basketball. So he, he plays basketball um, despite not really caring about basketball, which is also very common in these situations. Interesting. Uh, and, and what he identified is he said the only thing that matters is – and I'm, I'll get the detail wrong. So, so you know, this is my bad memory. But he said, you know, at, at this time every day the final injury reports come out. And I've got to make sure that I'm doing nothing but focusing on this around that moment because I'll win or lose based on how I arbitrage – guys who are injured by surprise or guys who are healthy by surprise. So the success and failure in this, at the end of the day, in his opinion, really wicked bright guy um, is he just has to pay attention during that small window. There's work at other times, but he'll win or lose based on taking advantage of market inefficiencies mm. around whether people are playing or not and what their physical condition is. Wow. So very similar to day trading in it's based around a schedule. It's based around a clock. You know, you have events such as, you know, here's the quarterly meeting where they're talking about profits and losses and making really smart decisions around those moments is how you're making your money in day trading. It's very event based mm-hmm. and very similar to this. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, we've 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 seen the uh, the movies where it's, you know, every day trader's fantasy to start with, you know, basically pocket change and turn that into, uh, you know, millions of dollars. I I think the movie Limitless uh, uh, sort of featured this, this guy who can access all his brain at, you know, right. That makes you a super genius if you can access your entire brain at once. And, and so turned, turned, uh, you know, a uh, micro amount of money into a fortune, but that is the, uh, you know, that that fantasy, as we describe it, there really is the part of the attraction for players who want to live out that fantasy. And and I can tell you, I mean, for for me, that's attractive as well, although, you know, I'm perhaps more attracted to the market than I am to uh, to fantasy sports. But it's interesting to see this this overlay of risk taking um which in some ways is, is a very, very much tied to uh, um, it may not be, you know, specific to the U.S., but it's very much part of the American dream, which is you can use your smarts and your guts, right, to uh, to do better than everybody else because you're smarter and braver and, and are willing to stick your nose out. Yeah. And so daily fantasy uh, uh, sports betting or, you know, sports uh and 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 day trading, you know, fall into that category. The the risk taking, the uh, seeking, uh, you know, monetary reward in in a very you know get rich quick kind of scenario. So so I wonder if if America has a particular uh, affliction where uh, fantasy sports is you know part and parcel of of something in our culture that we want to uh, uh, live out. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly taught that we will have the opportunity to be successful um, from the time we're very little in the country. And then for people all around the world who aren't in the country, this is the land of opportunity and place, place, place where you go, um, you know, go, go for success. Um, but in traditionally, historically, where that developed from was from people who risked life and limb to take a, a journey that, you know, put, put their very existence at risk and then required them to brave a, an undiscovered country, to brave mm-hmm. a situation that they were going into that was very dangerous, initially dangerous because you literally had, um, you know, native uh, cultures and people mm-hmm. who weren't necessarily happy to see you there, as well as nature and wildlife and, and unsettled things, and later became dangerous because you were a later immigrant who was seen as a negative by the people who already were there and had made their their way. And so your path to success took a great deal of effort and fortitude and risk and courage. Gambling paths to success, these these are easy paths. So it's tapping into the same vein of the land of opportunity, but in what I would consider a very perverted or distorted way. It's, mm. it's trying to get to it in a lazy way. So I want to shift focus now a little bit to sort of the, the player perspective on this, meaning the actual sports player perspective, and, and talk a little bit about the data that is coming from these, these players who are, you know, essentially, you know, earning their, they're living in a, in a very short amount of time on the field. And, you know, at this point, pretty much all of their actions are being tracked. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how the NFL uh, in particular is, is doing that, but their, their speed, you know, their, uh, the nature of their plays, the, all these next generation statistics are, are being now piped, you know, into a million homes via uh, sort of instantaneous data feeds and in some ways, it's, you know, must be very flattering to, to be this uh, uh, sort of at the core of, of um, you know, the, the nation's Sunday entertainment. But, but in, in another way, we're, we're taking uh, this player output and creating uh, this huge virtual economy with it. And, and Lord knows, I, I, I'm not sure how much the players are being compensated for that. Um, so it's almost as if they're, they're the virtual ghost of their actions is being monetized in ways that, you know, I'm sure they could never imagine. Um, so, so on the one hand, you have the, the, quote, sort of gladiator type worship where you're saying these, these guys are uh, sort of the pinnacle of physical fitness and skill. And we watch them every Sunday. And then on, on the other hand, you've got all of their data, which is, you know, in, in some ways being, uh, uh, you know, abused. It should almost be licensed if, if you want, you know, these players uh, uh, data as part of your team. But but I'm sure it will take a little bit of time to get there. Uh, it's just this difference between the virtual and physical realms. What's your take on that, Dirk? Yeah, you know, I mean, the players are are not, um, as you implied, the players are not directly compensated. The compensation that they receive is through a, an organization called the NFL Players Association. That's right. The yeah. specific of football, and it's it's pretty meager. I mean, it's pretty. If you think about it philosophically, right? Who owns who owns the data? Who owns the observational representation of my effort in the world? Um, you know, I I would think I have some stake in that, but it's not set up. 
it's not set up to do so. I mean, the way that athletes typically will monetize something like this is they become spokespeople. So they see a fantasy sports thing or outlet that they like or they're approached by and they sign a contract for n million dollars or hundreds of thousand dollars or depending on the scale of the operation, whatever that might be, to be the, the spokesperson, to have a big picture of them crossing their arms and smiling mm-hmm. on the front page of the website or or something something of that nature. So um, I, I think there's a lot of philosophical questions around big data in general and, you know, so, social questions around, you know, the exploitation of athletes and athletes tend to come from lower socioeconomic classes. Athletes tend to be disproportionate um, minorities, you know, particularly mm-hmm. African-American, which is a community that has been, um, you know, oppressed and mistreated in in our society ever since they were first dragged here in chains, basically. Right. Um, so under the surface of this are a lot of sticky questions about um, whose effort is being taken from, who's profiting from it, um, how are the different actors being being exploited. It's it's um, naughty. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, there's this virtual world that is really being uh, staked out piece by piece. And it's just not um, all that clear where the uh, where the ownership is, where the, where the money is going to be uh, uh, coming from, you know, who owns the different pieces of it. And as we build this virtual world one, you know, one piece at a time, uh feel like the uh the laborer gets left out in in a lot of uh scenarios where their um work rather than being licensed is is um sort of sucked up into this great data cloud and and then uh distributed maybe with their tacit consent but but um not really their complete um sign off and and you see this happening in in the musical world as well so, so there's uh, Taylor Swift, for instance, telling Apple that, hey, you need to pay us for, you know, anytime you use our music, you know, not just when, uh, um, you know, you feel like it. And Apple eventually giving in and, and saying, yeah, well, if we offer a free uh, three-month subscription to Apple Music, we're still going to pay the guys who, whose songs are being streamed via that service. So there's all sorts of very peculiar um, behavior around data, you know, which is driven by business advantage, clearly. But, you know, I, I can say that as we create these data worlds, we really need to be careful about not replicating the sort of uh, ferocious uh, Wild West, um, you know, capitalism that, you know, we certainly saw at the, you know, turn of the last century here, I, I feel like we're, we're stepping in the same kind of, um, the same kind of holes again, the same, making the same kinds of mistakes. Um, and we really need to pay more attention to that. Yeah. I mean, and there's some other technology trends that really, really go right into that as well. I mean, the evolution of robotics and artificial intelligence, increasingly those can take up human jobs. They can replace humans. And while in the past, you know, technologies have obsoleted certain jobs, other jobs have come to replace it. The technology is moving so quickly and, and congealing in, in such a, an amazing way around explicitly robotics and artificial intelligence. The, the, the point is in the near future where machines could be created to, have, to result in the inevitable 
um, increased unemployment of our society. And so the, the question is, um, will that happen? And if it does happen, will that be used to uplift um, and, and enrich the common person by turning that lack of employment into something that is more um, holistically valuable for them? Or will it be used to oppress them by pushing them into the same broken unemployment system that we have today or something something similar? And I think the jury's very much still out on that. And as usual, it will be the people who are the billionaires um, who, who will make those calls. And we can only hope that the calls they make are the more humane ones. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer, that's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R, or email me Dirk at GoInvo.com. So that's it for episode 128 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Okay.